Welcome to AACP's podcast, Inside the Lab, where we discuss anything and everything that concerns today's laboratory professionals and pathologists. My name is Dr. Loti Mulder. I'm the Director of Leadership and Environment at AACP, and I'm one of your hosts. Hey, everybody. I'm Kelly Swales, and I'm also one of your hosts. I'm an ASCP certified medtech and the executive editor of journals at ASCP. We've got some great guests, and I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Jim Crawford, the chair of pathology and laboratory medicine at Northwell Health and the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra, and also senior vice president for laboratory services. It occurs to me that with this month, I enter my fifth decade as a pathologist, if you include my residency. So I suppose that qualifies me as an older person. <laughs> My name is Rosie. I am a med tech and a recent grad of Upstate University, and I am also ASCP certified. Hi, I'm Dana Powell Baker. I'm a medical laboratory scientist, and I've been in the profession now for almost, I'm approaching my 20th year. And so definitely an exciting journey from uh, graduation, I would say, to where I am now as the manager of academic partnerships with the Association of Public Health Laboratories. Awesome, everybody. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Before we kind of get into the discussion, I need to do my CME spiel. CME and CMLE will be available for listening to this podcast in the ASCP store. The American Society for Clinical Pathology is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. ASCP designates this enduring material for a maximum of one AMA, PRA, Category 1 credit, Physicians should only claim the credit commiserate with their extent with their participation in the activity. All right, let's get this ball rolling. So my first question to all of you is, since you're all from different generations in this podcast, um, what are some aspects of your generation that you identify with? And we'll start with you, Dr. Crawford. So... Lonnie has uh, provided us with descriptors of what our generations might be. As far as I can tell, I'm somewhere between the traditionalist generation and the baby boomer. I've always sort of thought of myself in the baby boomer swell. I was at the tail end of the draft, for example. My number was 103 just before the draft was uh, ended in 1972. In terms of the adjectives applied to these uh, two generations, I think I would qualify for the respect for authority. I'd like to think I'm disciplined and loyal. I can assure you I'm competitive, both professionally as well as uh, athletically. And um, a word I discovered in college was self-actualizing which was actually very empowering to identify what potential I had and to do everything I could to realize that potential. Um, adjectives for the more recent generations, I'm not quite sure what street smart means and, and that sort of stuff, but I think I would qualify as a baby boomer for the cultural features described. I would say, and that's hard to follow up on, but it's been interesting for me, I would say, because I was born in 1980. And so it depends on which uh, material you reference. You know, in one context, I'm a Gen Xer, but in another context, they'll say that's the start of millennials. And so the term that I found that I felt like is the most fitting, uh, especially for those of us who were born or kicked off the 80s, I would say, would be um, that what they call it, the bridge. And I've heard so, it called the Oregon Trail generation. Yeah, definitely. Right. And that's something that is a highlight of my youth. Definitely Oregon Trail. That was <laughs> you have died of dysentery. 
Yes, yes. You know, I, I think that's where we got our healthcare experience, right? <laughs> so, which I think is the most fitting, only because we do feel like we are in between. You know, we are kind of sandwiched in between these really two dynamic generations of baby boomers and millennials. And although we remember what life was like before internet, but we were also the ones who became actively engaged with internet and virtual, I would say, opportunities, the start of hybrid learning and all those things. You know, when the first, you know, iPhone came out, I still remember changing the color of my uh, beeper cases when beepers became more of an accessory. But we also know when that started, that started to fade off kind of but the new term that's emerged, which I don't know if it sits well with me quite yet, is geriatric millennial. And um, I, I've heard and, it called elder millennial. Yeah, yeah. Either way, you know, but but it's comical to me, but it's fitting because I find that when I am around a group of what I would say solid millennials, you, you can see some of the differences, but there are a lot of similarities as well. But even as a geriatric millennial, yeah, we, we act as that bridge in between um, what we would say those digital natives, but also those that I felt like we were the first to really fully embrace technology, not to say that those came before us did not. It just was something that was embedded through our upbringing, especially with the integration of Oregon Trail, as you brought that up. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Wait, what is the Oregon Trail thing? Oh, it's an old school, oh. old school video game. I never actually played it, but so many of my friends did. It's basically uh, you're a person that's on the Oregon Trail and you have to get across the country to Oregon. Without dying. Without dying of dysentery or a rattlesnake bite or whatever. And basically you just almost never could. (laughs) Our our, our two children were born in 80 and 81. So I looked over their shoulders. I was certainly familiar. It it was an obsession. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm talking like old school, like 8-bit kind of graphics and everything. Yeah. But it was probably one of the first like interactive games after like say Pong or something. They yeah, have like a storyline and a through line and a narrative. And I'll, I'll stop talking now. I could talk about video games for a while. So. <laughs> I know, but that's what really kicked a lot of us off with that passion for video gaming, that and Atari. Oh yeah. Atari <laughs> man. Oof. Okay. So Rosie is like, I don't even know what any of this is. <laughs> Rosie, you want to talk about, talk about uh, Gen Z? Yeah. So I really like that we're all kind of like cuspers in a way. We all can identify with two, if not even more. I was reading through them. I'm like, I have a couple of all the generations, but I would say I definitely fall under the category of like the Gen Y and Z. So some of the attributes I'd say that I can identify with from the why would be like always striving for professional development and like just trying to figure out what my next move will be while still being laid back and a fun focused co-worker. From the generation Z I can identify with being like an independent open mind determined person with very many entrepreneurial aspects that I would like to explore as well like there's a lot of room in the lab to move up and I think that a lot of the younger generations kind of have that push to move up whereas like the older generations they're just you know they're content with what they've been doing and they don't want to take on more responsibility in the lab whereas we do I would definitely say that being able to be on the cusp too 
lets us not be so Gen Z stereotypical. Like we're always on our phones, not socializing with people. I feel like the Gen Y really do have strong communication skills, whether it be like we're doing now Zooming or emailing back and forth, as well as the face-to-face. Yeah, I well, I'll just throw it out here since I since I worked in the lab for 17 years or something before I came to ASCP. Um, I'm solid Gen X, Dana. I was born in 75, so I very much identify with that. The idea, well, to answer your question, Jim, about being street smart, a lot of Gen X were, uh, you know, that was kind of like the latchkey kid generation, right? Where mom and dad are at work and you get home from school and you feed yourself some snacks and you play and you play video games instead of doing your homework or you're outside playing until the street lights come on or whatever. Sort of that that idea that you could kind of take care of yourself a little bit from a younger age than I think some of the um and and I would, you know, living here in New York, having grown up in rural Connecticut, street smart means going to school after a 45 minute subway ride. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I see and getting back home and, and and then feeding yourself and and uh yeah, taking would, care of yourself till your parents come home. I would tend home. to agree, yeah. Like just living in Chicago now, riding the L, I see kids as young as 10 or 10 or 12 riding the L by themselves to go to school or whatever. So yeah, I think they got me. And I am impressed. For sure. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Yeah, but in, in general, I've always kind of seen myself as um, kind of independent and adaptable. So I, uh, I really identify with that Gen X quality. So I want to ask you guys, uh, what's, what's your perspective on what it's like to work with dif- different generations in the lab? Because I, I do want to say that not, it's not necessary. I mean, Jim's a good example of, of somebody who's, you know, like in, in laboratory administration and he's been in the lab for a long time. But, you know, that's not always the case. Whenever I was on the bench, I had plenty of folks that were Jim's age that I was working next to on the bench or whatever. What's your perspective on what it's like to work with with generations that are different than yours? I'd say it's one of the best parts of the job. My birth year was 1954. And it is so invigorating as a younger person to have the wisdom and experience of older folks. And as an older person, to be challenged by younger folks. And uh, Rosie, I am absolutely, you know, 100% supportive of career aspirational growth. And I think it's actually one of the challenges we have in our profession right now is young people looking at what laboratory is as a profession and not seeing the the career ladder. Yes. Seeing the bench for the next 40 years. And it's kind of like, please, you know, the bench is okay. And I think we have to be very mindful of that. It's actually one of my biggest concerns, and I know the ASCP is is working extremely hard in providing leadership in this area. But going back to the question, I love to be challenged. I love to have people question <laughs> why we're doing what we're doing the way we do it and bringing ideas forward. It just leavens the whole workplace. And And quite honestly, I think it'd be awfully boring if I was just working with people like myself in, in the same age. Yeah, I would love to add to that. Because I feel the same way. I felt like diversity is our strength, number one. It's something I always love to say. And I think that even is reflective in the different generations that we have represented in the clinical laboratory. Uh, I can remember when, as far back as my clinical internship and going into the lab setting where a good portion of the workforce at that time were either pre-retirement or approaching um, retirement. And I was thankful to work with those individuals or just to learn from those individuals because they had a wealth of knowledge that they were able to really just pour into me. And, you know, having those years of experience 
that they can share those experiences with us and really help to shape and develop us in a way to where that's really where I got my work ethic from. That's where I learned an appreciation for where the lab has been, where the lab was currently at that time and where our profession was going. And they really imparted that into me and just their own, I would say, generational ethic of reverence and also being respectful of those that came before you and always honoring that and celebrating that at the same time. And so that those are traits that I've carried with me because of being exposed to, especially those generations that came before me when I entered the workforce. Because, you know, unfortunately, you know, I would work with, you know, colleagues that would be about my age or, you know, we would be similar in age. And, you know, there would be the comments of like, oh, I wish there were more younger people in here. And um, I was like, well, we wouldn't have as many people to learn from, you know, be a sponge, take an opportunity to learn. And they have the best stories. And it really gives more context to the why, you know, things are a certain way that they are, not just in process but in work culture and um, the politics of the work environment, just so many other pieces that we don't think about, um, especially as an entry-level lab professional. And so I always took those things to heart, even as I um, progressed in my career and just even the act of being open to training others that came behind me. You know, you I have some that even now would say, no, I don't want to train anyone else unless I get, you know, one either paid extra for it or I don't feel obligated to do so. And I was like, wow, if if people shared that same belief when I was coming out of my program, I would have messed out on so much really valuable information. But I think it also speaks to, um, you know, what we need to do more of in encouraging people, regardless of generation, that you have something to offer. And just because you may be, you know, one, two, three decades ahead of um, those who are now entering the laboratory doesn't mean that what you have to offer is not valuable. It's increasingly valuable, especially as we're seeing this great surge of, you know, retirements and resignations. And so, you know, you lose that person, you lose the content. You lose all that institutional knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Expertise. Like that's your legacy for that institution. And so I think we need to do more in celebrating that and embracing that and really encouraging those coming out of programs to really take advantage of that opportunity while they can. Those are pieces that have always stuck with me and what makes it meaningful to me to have that opportunity to work amongst, you know, diverse environments where we do have different generations represented. Absolutely. Rosie, what are your thoughts? I completely agree with Dana and her point of view of how it's really important for everybody in the lab to be willing to train the new students as well, especially coming from upstate being such a learning hospital. And I would say I learned more than half the percent of my knowledge from working in the lab, doing the actual test compared to like reading it on a slide and them telling me how it works. So I'm very thankful for all the older texts that participate in training us and stuff. But I really do work like working with the different age groups in the hospital. And I think there is a huge benefit to having it be so diverse. Like being a young student in the lab while I was on rotations, I mean, it was obviously always more comfortable when you're with somebody your own age, you know, you can relate and talk about more things. But 
you can't deny that you don't learn more with an older, more experienced tech. They're going to say with your friends, right? You can talk about the latest TikTok video, but exactly. And they're just they're there for endless knowledge. And um, a lot of it has to do with the way the lab is moving as well. Like they know a lot of techniques that we don't get to use or learn as well as they did. So it's always nice for them to teach us some of the older test methods as well. You know, things break, things don't always go to plan and you need to know how to do some of the older test methods too. So I definitely think that, but I do want to point out that I don't necessarily think it's like an age problem or not even a problem, but an age thing. I think it's an experience thing. Um, like you could be 30 and have the same experience as a 50 year old who just came into the profession. So working alongside of an older person doesn't necessarily mean you'll get more information or anything if they're just as new. Um, so I definitely prefer to work with the more experienced tech over the older tech. But sure. obviously, I do think that the younger generation, I mean, I like to hear that Jim Anthato as well, but the younger generation is there in the lab, like to keep them young, keep them, like you said, what's a TikTok? Like, I'll tell you what the TikTok is. <laughs> um, it does like bring some fun into the lab um, socially for the different age groups as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say during my time in the lab, I, I, I learned so many, so so much from the folks that had been there lo longer yeah. uh, and particularly once i moved off of the um once i moved off the off shifts and stopped being a generalist and started working uh full-time just in microbiology i always kind of i used to say that so-and-so has forgotten more micro than i learned <laughs> you know <laughs> just like the breadth and wealth of knowledge that they had was so so helpful whenever i was first on the micro bench yeah, micro especially, it changes so much. So those older generations really do have to do a lot of work to keep up with it, like reading the new journals every year and making sure they're up to date on the new names of everything. So I would say that's definitely the biggest department that they need to keep up on. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, but no, let's get down to the important, the important things. Jim, do you know what a TikTok is? <laughs> I read about it there you in, go. in hard copy in the in the newspaper. <laughs> Excellent answer. So, what what would you characterize as the strengths that you bring to the workplace on the on the basis of your age? Reflecting on what I'd like to think I contribute, I appreciated earlier in my career from others institutional memory. The workplace is an institution. It's all about the people. And so to have, and, and it's specific institution. If you've worked in a place only two years, to go back to uh, Rory's point, a, a younger person who's worked in an institution 10 years has more institutional memory than an older person who's only been there two years. But institutional memory is really important. And it's just how to do things. Quite honestly, it's who's who, how to network. When you need to get something done, who do you need to reach out to? Who can really get stuff done? Right. Which is different than the table of organization. The second is related to that memory about people, both present and most definitely those who've gone before us. I think it's very important to know the, to, to have this memory of people who've made this specific workplace mean something. And some of them may have passed. I've lost all too many colleagues who've passed during their working years. Uh, and prematurely. The third is what I would call professional memory, which is what has gone on 
in our laboratory profession in medicine and even use the examples. What was laboratory medicine before we had automated testing as opposed to where it is now? And quite honestly, where are we going? Because the future ain't going to remotely look like 2022 and it's going to happen pretty quickly. But I think that's something an older person can contribute. Early in my career, I was kind of annoyed when Older folks would say, oh, yes, I remember a particular case, and, and I'm overdoing it a little bit. But I was annoyed that people would dig out individual cases in a conversation. And now I realize what that's about. There are events that you are going to remember for as long as you have a memory. Mm-hmm. And I could give you all sorts of examples. There's a reason we remember those. It's to educate people around us, doesn't matter what their age are, to learn from negative events in the past to avoid. To gain the wisdom and to bring forward things that you don't ever want someone else to experience. And yes, it is also okay to bring memories forward of when we got it right. There's some really, Mm -hmm. really good stories. And again, I've, I've got a whole catalog where you bring, you know, when you're talking with people and say, there was a time when we really, really got it right. Why did we get it right? Let's try to make sure that we do it the next time because we're about to embark on another big project. So I think there is a definite role for the older person, but I always live in fear that I'm overdoing it. I don't want to overplay that hand. Right. Yeah. And it's it's tough because once you've had so many years of experience, right? Like you said, you you have so many experiences to pull from that you want to share. So yeah, you don't want to be you don't want to be the guy at the head of the table you know, necessarily holding court. Exactly. I, I didn't like people holding court. I didn't like worshiping at the altar. I was, you right. know, I, I was actually rather subversive because maybe I'm a baby boomer, but I, I thought this altar worship stuff was not appropriate because I felt right. as a younger person that I was a person of merit as well. But there are times you've really got to pick the brain. And I'll, I'll say, I'll close with one last thought. And I really, I concluded this as a young person. There were folks, not everybody, I can assure you, but there were older folks that I called the wise ones. And my definition of a wise one is as long as they're in the building, you're okay. Whether mm-hmm. it's a senior tech or a doctor or an administrator, it doesn't matter what happens. As long as they're around, you're okay. Right. And I've actually right. suggested to colleagues of mine that this is something that they could aspire to to Mm -hmm. develop the expertise over the course of the career so that they can be an institutional wise one. There is a place for it. And when a wise one finally retires and steps aside, hopefully you have the next generation to fill their place. It's a very particular institutional role. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Rosie, how about you? What what would you consider like a strength of yours? Because you're, you're one of the younger folk. So I would say that a major strength of the younger folk would definitely be our tech savviness. We are very technologically advanced. Like we grew up with technology, internet, um, everything like that comes second nature to us, like operating um, some of the screens, you know, hematology screens. Some of them look like iPhones, you know, with the apps and different things like that. Um, so we're very comfortable navigating the systems. And I think that that saves us time in the long run, just being able to use it and not have to stress about using it and stress about breaking it and knowing where to find things on there, as well as like troubleshooting. That is a huge part of being a med tech is troubleshooting all of your instruments. There's a lot of automation, so not a lot of manual things are done, but 
you got to work manually when that breaks. <laughs> Someone has to fix it. And sometimes it saves like getting text, um, service text into the hospital if you can just figure it out yourself. And a lot of the younger students are really good at that compared to the older generations. I feel like that just takes a lot of stress off the job in general, knowing that technology is not a worry. Like you can You're like not being intimidated by that. Yeah. Yeah. Not being intimidated by the technology because there's so many other things to be intimidated about in the lab. The fact <laughs> that we can, um, you know, use the LIS systems, use all of those with ease and like learn them quickly. I feel like even on rotation, I know how to use the LIS system. You know, I know each one's fairly the same. They're all ha- a little bit different, but generally we get a lot of experience through our um, year of rotation. So when we get into the lab, that's not something that we necessarily have to train as hard on when we get there. Dana, how about you? Yeah, after listening to both Jim and Rosie, it just, for me, it just reiterates that, that point of being the bridge because I can definitely commiserate with a lot of what Jim stated as well as some of the pieces that Rosie stated. And I think the one term, if I had to pick a word that I felt like best represented our generation, I would say adaptability. We really had to be adaptable in the sense of, you know, just of everything that was happening during that time, you know, transitioning from having to go to your encyclopedia set to look up information to now having access to the internet and then Google. And then going from there, you know, we, we constantly had to change or be open to change as changes were happening around us. And so, you know, having that level of comfort with technology, it's, it's a non-issue, you know, we are comfortable with it. You know, in fact, you know, you have some of the most creative minds when it came to technology, come from that generation, from the bridge, recognizing that there was a gap, there was a need, the want for quicker access or more access to more information, and the desire to want to purge those um, Britannica sets as well. But uh, (laughs) I do miss those though, Um, flipping through the pages of those lovely books to find information. But I think also in that, I know there was a lot around the ability to be imaginative. So innovation as well. I feel like you know, being innovative has definitely helped with a lot of the things that we see in the laboratory, being a part of those changes, you know, being able to see a process and say, you know what, I think that we can adapt this to be even better for not just patient care, but for our workflow. You know, if you look at Lean and Six Sigma and all those pieces, those were a lot of developments that has happened um, during that time frame as well, wanting to improve our processes in any way that would be of benefit to not just our workforce or to be reflective of the needs of our workforce. But once again, how does that impact healthcare overall? And also that fight for more visibility for our profession as well. And that piece of advocacy that came in. And so for me, it's just really interesting that, you know, just when you reflect back on different pieces, which is something that they say that is also a a hallmark of our generations that we also have that nostalgia piece, kind of what Jim was alluding to earlier, where, you know, I could reflect back and remember there was a time where, you know, we didn't require hep B vaccination. And then, but I also remember where that came from. I used to always tell students, you know, I remember when we did blood bank testing, when people would donate blood, we weren't testing for West Nile virus. It wasn't a thing when I graduated, but it became a thing 
So just being able to reflect back on what was happening in the world at that time, what was happening in the lab or in healthcare at that time, and how that impacted change. And so it's just a really interesting space. I refuse to use geriatric millennial. So I'm going to use the bridge, but... (laughs) But elder millennial, elder millennial, the bridge, (laughs) Kelly, the bridge. (laughs) Sounds like the name of a really cool song. Um, (laughs) But just being able to kind of still be able to point to those things nostalgically while also appreciating or embracing what technology has done in the development and the innovative growth that we've seen in our profession. So we've talked about kind of what, what strengths that you bring with your different generations to the lab. Uh, Is there anything that's caught you short with something that you might see from a generational aspect that other generations in the lab might not? Like I'll, I'll give an example, obviously years and years and years ago, this would have been probably at this point, maybe around 15 years ago. Uh, So I would have been around 30, 32 somewhere. We got in a new lab director and one of the managers had point had kind of pointed me out and was like, ask Kelly because she's got a really good broad view of, of things. She's worked all the shifts. Ask her about some stuff. Uh, and he asked me, he's like, uh, can you make a list like things we can change, things we can improve, whatever. And I'm like, yep, I'm on it. And I made a list of 20 things like this shift could do this and we could move this test and we can do that. And why are we doing things this way? Not in a confrontational way. Just I just made a list of stuff. Right. And he was like, Kelly, this is this is great. But then, you know, whenever you start talking about some of these pieces in the different departments, you get a little pushback. Like, why would we do that? Like, it's working fine the way it is now. Why would we change? So that's one aspect that I felt as, relatively speaking, a younger person in the lab, I always felt like I got kind of got pushback from. And even now today in my professional career, that's like the worst thing you can say to me is like, well, we've always done it that way. Why, why would we change? And I really, I get really upset about it. So I think that's one of my experiences. Have you guys had any anything like that in your professional career where you feel like your age or your generation or your experience level has kind of worked against what others in the lab? I will give an example this time because I, I, I think it brought up the collision of a generational perspective in perhaps the most dramatic way I've ever experienced. It was in December of 2020 when a senior by title, but relatively young by age, pathologists in our department succumbed to COVID after a three-week illness. And um, it was on a Sunday evening at five o'clock. And the severity of his illness was not really appreciated by everyone in the department out of privacy. Sure. But he died. And this was was one week before vaccines became available. It, Uh. it It is the most traumatic thing I and I think the people in our department have ever experienced in our professional career. And even a year and a half on, we still grieve for him. Oh, in, in the email I sent out to the entire department at 5.30 p.m., I knowingly typed, when we show up at work tomorrow morning, because I felt patient care must be served. Right. He was a physician. He was dedicated to patient care. We must take care of the patients that depend upon us. And when I arrived at, at work the next day on Monday, I mean, all of us were, were in a total state of shock. You could even ask whether we were even competent to practice medicine. And rounding through the residence room, one of our third-year residents said to me, point blank, this is wrong. This is totally wrong. We mm-hmm. shouldn't be in the workplace. We should be mourning this person. Yeah. And I am very grateful to this person for challenging me on right. my generational perspective on what it meant 
to grieve on our own time. We did grieve together. We did take time to grieve together. But this collision of emotion in the midst of the need to discharge our professional duty, I don't think there's a right answer. I really well, don't. No, and I, I think you're, you're, you're making a good point where you're a little bit older and you're like, nope, this is how we honor this person. This is how we honor this person. But, and we cultivated this discussion, particularly me and this resident. She was challenging me point blank on a generational perspective. And I'm very grateful to her. I really am. And she knows it. I've expressed this many times to her. And it really greatly strengthened our own working relationship. But to collide in what we think is right and discuss it and examine it and see each other's perspective, we still work that day. But mm-hmm. you know, we went through the grieving in, in a fashion. But I, I, I use it as an example because I don't know what a different person would have done. Mm-hmm. I know what I did. Right. Well, and I, I think that's really, I think it's really awesome that clearly you've cultivated a work environment and relationship that she felt comfortable to do that. And I also and I welcomed think it. I embraced it. We continue to, I mean, <laughs> in the parking lot because it was all COVID this and that, and the right. memorial was out in the parking lot in the freezing winter. We continued the conversation and we did for months. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's amazing and awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Rosie, what you got? All right. So this one was a tough one for me to answer and think about, but I would say that a shortcoming from me and my generation compared to Jim specifically, because he mentioned like loyalty and being loyal to your job and where you are. I feel like our generation doesn't necessarily have that um, aspect as like as important to them. They don't really care about being loyal. They care about making the most money. Where are they that are they are the happiest where they're working? If they've worked somewhere for five years and they get offered a job that pays them better and a different position, they don't care if they're loyal to that um, institution they've been at five years. They're going to go for the money and the advancement. And they don't really think about the loyalty and the bonds you form like with your people at work. They can make those bonds anywhere. So they definitely have more, again, the entrepreneurial aspects to them. And they're always looking for their next move. And if I had that opportunity as well, I can't say that I wouldn't do the same. I would definitely move if it made me happier. And I always have to factor that in, by the way. I cannot take it for granted. Yeah. (laughs) I I I think that's okay. I think it's actually, I I think, you know, an employee, every single day they come into work, they make a decision as to whether this is the right place or not. Yeah. And it's got to be a green pasture. It's not a fence. It's got to yeah. be the right place to work. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you don't even know when that day is coming. So, I mean, I think that the lab itself can rely on those older generations a lot more than the younger generations. You know, they can rely on putting them in positions where they do have more tasks and obligations because they can trust them to be there for longer. Um, me starting off at the institution, it's going to take me a little bit to move up because they need to trust that that time won't be wasted from them training me and getting them in the position to move me up. I think that our generation is just a go-getter. We love to go and get. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably my experience. Yeah, yeah, the the diagonal it. promotion is a lot easier than the vertical one. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I, as as an employer, I always have to be mindful of that. How about you, Dana? Well, it kind of ties back to what I mentioned earlier, where I would say being innovative is a gift, but sometimes it could also be a burden. (laughs) 
especially if it's, you know, that thinking outside the box is not always embraced depending on the setting or just the timing or even the audience. And so if, you know, I have this outside the box innovative idea, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a, it's a bad one, but just the timing may be off or the resources may not be available. But sometimes with those of us who may have that innovative thought or idea and we don't see it immediately implemented or embraced, that can create a challenge or a point of frustration. And so then you have to kind of figure out what is your best communication style at that point. Because I do realize that that's another, I would say, hallmark of that generation is you know, that adaptability or diversity in communication style. So, you know, we'll adapt it to one audience versus another than another. But if you find that your innovation is not moving forward, then what do you do with that? Do you sit in frustration? Do you hop to another job where you feel like that innovative thought or idea process would be more embraced or welcoming? Do you feel like you're challenging kind of a historical system or structure where you are and you want to go somewhere where you feel like those ideas will be entertained more so, I would say by someone or by a group that is more in your generation or even younger, just some things that you kind of battle with or toil with, I would say. But also, I think it's a couple of different things. Like I know for, and I could speak for myself, I don't want to represent an entire group of people in, in my next comment. But for me, I find myself in interesting situations where I feel by one demographic, I'm too young. I'm still learning and get treated as such, you know, like, oh, you, you only have, you know, 19 years in, I have, you know, 30 years of experience. So, you know, let me, which, you know, once again, I'm, I'm embracing of that, but at the same time, I'm still too young, but for another group, I'm also too old. And that will come up in comments of, well, my generation was watching this or my generation was into that. And I'm like, I grew up watching that too. I'm not that old. You know, like I find myself <laughs> constantly saying, that. I'm not that old. But then I'll say, am I that old? And then if I have someone refer to me as auntie or aunt, I've gone back to my sister and I'll go, am I an auntie now? And she's like, you, you technically are. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> when so, did this happen? <laughs> when did this happen? You know? <laughs> and so going back to that point of being the bridge, you know, you, you feel like you are in between. Am I too old for one demographic, but still too young for another? And so once again, when you have those ideas or like I said, outside the box kind of thinking or innovative processes, you're challenging what feels like both sides almost just about. Right. And so where do you find your ally in that? <laughs> So that you're not feeling like the crazy person in the room where I'm like, you know, where you feel like you are stuck in between. Right, right. And so I would say that's that's definitely something that like some speak for myself, something that I'm encountering or journeying through right now. So, so much of effective collaboration is about our own ability to uh, adapt our own behavior and preferences to meet the needs of others. So. Could you give an example of how you've had to change your behavior towards others in the workplace, specifically in relation to different generations or your own, actually? That could be too. i I've already mentioned mine, which is accommodating and being 
daily aware of the light feet that a younger generation might have and the fact that we have to earn our privilege of being an employer every single day. It's not hire, it's a lock, now let me go after the next recruit. No, every single person in the workplace is special and precious, and we have to make sure that it's the right workplace for them. That's a very conscious activity. And I think it's it's the the titration of that curve has, has increased through years. And if anything, COVID has made it even more likely that people will pursue their destiny with or without loyalty to you. So I, I view it as a glass half full. We've got to earn the privilege of being the right place for every single one of our employees. Yeah, I was going to say whenever Rosie was mentioning that, that the Gen Zers and tend not to be as, as quote unquote loyal, but that's, I, I view that as a strength. Right? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't view that as a negative. I think it, I think oh, it, I, it, yeah, it only, it only highlights the fact that we should be doing this anyway. This is exactly. the way every like single workplace you, should be. If you, if you've got a string of younger folks walking out the door and they're all giving that's on you, reason, then that's on you. And then you got to listen. And so to me, it only makes the workplace a better place because absolutely going back to the opening question about diversity that's what makes this the workplace special is what we bring mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, that's true. And then just when you hear the reference to, you know, oh, this generation is just more harder working or the work ethic of this generation is better, which really we shouldn't be pitting generations against each other like that. It's just our work style is just different. Our work beliefs, our work needs you know, they just differ. And that's even individually, that's not always generation based. And so I think that's something that we need to be aware of too, and not take it so personal. If you notice that, you know, one particular generation just seems to have a different perspective about what work ethic looks like, or how that comes across. But you you see a lot of combativeness when it comes to that especially that part of the discussion. But younger folk can put older folk to shame when it comes to work ethic. Just blow us out of the water sometimes. Well, they're, they're hungry, right? Yeah. I'm going to ask a question. And Rosie, you might feel like you, you don't have a lot of room to answer this, but I think that you do. So don't, don't count yourself out. What would each of you tell your younger self in regards to interactions with older members of the workplace? What is some advice that you'd give 26-year-old Jim right now. Or 26-year-old Rosie. Or 26-year-old Rosie. Or, you know, what advice give 18-year-old Rosie about working in the lab? Rosie right now. Yeah, right? (laughs) So, yeah, what would you tell your younger self about working in the lab and working with such a broad swath of of age ranges in the lab? Because every single laboratory I've ever worked in has... 22-year-olds all the way up to 65-year-olds. But what would you what would you tell tell your younger self about working with different generations? I don't mind going on that one. I think for me it's twofold. On one hand, absorb all that I can. You know, be open to learning and asking questions and just letting that help to inform my future clinical practice. So that's one. But on the flip side of that, just because someone is older doesn't mean that I have to accept their disrespect too. Respect is mutual and it should go both ways. And when I reflect back on younger Dana, I did tolerate a lot. 
And I probably accepted way more than I should have. But I was thinking, well, they're older. I want to be mindful, respectful. I'm new. You know, they're experienced. You know, maybe I need to humble myself in this situation. But there's a difference between being humble, but also being mistreated. Right. And, you know, you shouldn't tolerate that, you know, regardless of age. And and you know the difference when you receive it. And so I wish I would have spoken up more regarding those experiences at that time. Yeah, I think that's important, an, an important aspect to keep up. And this isn't, I don't think it's it's unique to the laboratory at all, but I do kind of find it in healthcare in general where we tend to eat our young, quote unquote. Yes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's something that we, everyone needs to push back against, not just the younger folks that that onus shouldn't just be on the younger folks. Everyone has to be cognizant of that. Yeah, even those that are around that, you know, maybe that person, because they're so new to the profession or just to that setting, may not feel comfortable in speaking up just yet. But you, if you overhear that and you've been an employee there, then, you know, that's where you demonstrate your allyship. 100%. Well. Yeah. In terms of my own thoughts on this, I would reassure my younger self that it's okay to be ambitious. <laughs> it's it is entirely okay to conspire with other folks of your own generation because <laughs> at the time and it was proven right the young will take over the world and i would say it happens sooner than you think but right. with that in mind soak up everything you can from older people not only for the workplace that you're currently in to function properly so that but so that you can learn everything you possibly can and Emulate what you admire, avoid what you don't admire. You're going to see stuff that you don't like and learn from that so that when you rise in your own career, you will be the person that you want to be as an older person. That's great advice. Absolutely. Rosie, how about you? So for me, I would say that any advice to my younger self would definitely just be patient and trust the process and know that even though things like don't go exactly how you planned or what you pictured would end up happening or being where you thought you would, you'll end up where you're supposed to be and just go with it. And a lot has to do with working alongside of our other classmates as well. And like fighting for what's best for you back to the loyalty thing. Like, not necessarily that we're loyal, but we will always watch out for ourselves in um, a lot of places. Like for pay, for example, the salaries are increasing because they need to. And we are the cause of that. It's because we won't work for the salaries that they were offering before. We're going to go where they're going to offer us the most. And that forces all of the different institutions to be competitive and offer us money that we're actually worth. Like, I think that the younger students definitely have that drive to like ask for what they want, especially in interviews. Like they train us to not barter, but bargain and, you know, talk and see what's available. And if that's okay with you, then you can take it. And if it's not, we have so many different options to go to. Like med techs are in such high need that you can go anywhere and be a med tech and be happy doing it. So I think that Definitely some advice would be like, don't settle for anything less than what you're 100% happy doing and where you are happy doing it as well. As far as the student goes, I would say definitely, like you guys said, soak up as much knowledge as you can. 
well, you don't have to, um, you know, be stressed about it. Like while you're working on the bench and wondering, ask the questions while you have somebody there and well, you can answer the wrong answer and it doesn't matter. They can correct you still. <laughs> um, well, yeah, absolutely. Like you never, like in the laboratory, you're almost never in a situation where you're the only person in the room and you have to make the call right then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that happens, but so often you've got knowledge around you use it. Yeah. It's like, just don't hold back on your questions. They like questions because honestly, sometimes they don't know what you need to know, especially the older generations. They don't remember exactly what's on the test and what kind of questions and, um, oh, and too, like once you've worked in the lab for a while, it's like you've internalized so many skill sets that you don't remember what it's like being a rookie. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember um, we take for granted like simple tasks like stain slide stainers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when things like that break, it might take me like five, 10 minutes to get the perfect smear on a glass slide because I'm not, I'm, I don't have that muscle memory. Whereas the older, older generation, they're just like, slide, 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 and they're coming mm -hmm. out perfect. So definitely pick up on some of their <laughs> positive tips and tricks as well. They do have a lot of tips and tricks, you know, not shortcuts, but just things to make your life easier. And I think that the ge younger generation can also offer that to the older, you know, like hotkeys, simple things like that on computers. You know, we, we do a lot of stuff on the keyboard. Some people, you know, do the save and do the I'm like, control S and it's saved. Move on. <laughs> um, so definitely that. But yeah, for the younger self, just be patient and know it'll all work out in the end. You guys, this has been such an amazing conversation. I've truly enjoyed having all of you on. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. And also, I want to tell our audience to uh, tell your colleagues about the podcast and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator. And don't forget that you can receive CME and CMME credit for listening to our podcast by looking for Inside the Lab in the ACP store on our website at www.acp.org.